How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 129. <laughs> Another milestone coming up soon. 130. Yeah, 130. That's a milestone, right? Yeah, I, I mean, it's not like a anniversary or anything. No. It's how much I make every fortnight from Kara's pay, but other oh. than that. Nice. <laughs> Nice. 130 a fortnight. That's the dream. On. Actually, you might be on. That would be technically two and a half years on the dot. Ooh. Is that so? 62, 104, 26, 130. Oh. Uh, yeah. Wait, from. Yeah, say so that 52, say that again. 52. 104. 104. 130. Because it's 26. Half of 52 is 26. Wouldn't it be one? Wouldn't it be like 125? No. Or from 104 plus 26. Oh, yeah, yeah. From Be technically a two and a half year anniversary. I'm just going to trust you on that because my brain's Quick not... Quick math. My brain's not working today. It would be technically two and a half years on the dot. That's fair. Well, before we jump in, of course, we're going to do our trivia for the film of the week. Zeke. Of course. What sort of trivia do you have for me today? I find this one really interesting. So the anima- animators built real clocks to get Disney's approval. So in the Wait, scene what? Of- I'm about to walk you through it. <laughs> the scene above in Geppetto's workshop features clocks, which were actually built in working models in real life by some of the animators, according to Kaufman. They did partly because Walt would like the uh, would look at some of the designs and say, "Oh, that would never work." Interesting. So they had to physically build it to to motivate their existence in mm-hmm. the story. That's fascinating. Well, it makes sense because Geppetto is obviously. A uh, craftsman mm-hmm. of sorts, so it makes sense that he does all these weird, intricate things. But yeah, no, I did not know that. So it's the blending of reality and magic, which obviously Disney Animation does on the yeah. regular, particularly well, it, in this it, time period. It kind of beautifully ties into my trivia because the running theory I've had when I've rewatched bits and pieces of this film in the last, I guess, year or so, ever since it went to Disney Plus, I've been mm-hmm. watching bits of it every now and then, just getting invested in it again. And my running fury was, I feel like the Blue Fairy's rotoscopes. That's how they animated her. And sure enough, I looked it up. They're not only rotoscoped her in the film. So for those who don't know, rotoscoping is basically tracing to create like a more smooth, natural movement. So you will notice the Blue Fairy has like, she's animated differently from everyone else. She's a bit more hand-drawn. She's very ethereal sort of. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's what motivates it. And also Snow White. That's how they animated her in the original Mm -hmm. film too, which... When I, I watched that back recently, and I was like, oh, yeah, no, she moves differently from all the dwarfs. So very clever use of technology for both fans in terms of clocks and in terms of animation. There you go. Well, yeah. we're going to start with our career section in this show. Mm. But before then, am I taking a guess if this is on the 1100 movies to watch before you die list, Jake? Do you think it is? I would have to say yes, yeah, surely. It is. Yeah. <laughs> One day there's going to be a no in there. I mean, between this and Fantasia, both same year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, that's a good question. Is Fantasia on the poster? I have to check. Yeah, you check. You check. But Jake, do you want to give us uh, <laughs> career updates before we move into the films of the week? Yeah, so I talked. I, I decided uh, let's do the career update stuff up front because I teased last week that there was a bit of a... Oh, Wait. is it up there? Is Fantasia up on the poster? It is. Hey, well done. It is on the poster. There you go. Beautiful. Um, so, like I said last week, I kind of teased a bit of a, bit of a drastic move in things, and I think Very there might be people actually listening to this purposely to hear me elaborate on some of this stuff because we posted in the last week was the fifth year anniversary of Clicker, and what what wonderful way to celebrate five years of a company by destroying it, <laughs> destroying the legacy. <laughs> what a lovely voice. 
<laughs> what a lovely voice. We rise in the fire. Um, <laughs> no, we're joking about it, but yes, yeah, so essentially in the last week I did sort of shut down the majority of operations on Clicker Productions. And it was sort of a personal decision. It's just, you know, a lot of... You know, we're, we're coming up in our mid-20s, Zeke. We are. And there's a lot of things that I've specifically been thinking about in terms of longevity, you know, in, ter- in terms of goals and, and uh, saving money and career updates mm. and next thing. And I kind of realized there was a bunch of things I'm on currently, but Clicker was one of those things that I was like, you know what? I think this is actually hindering my ability to make films and tell stories because I'm so focused on putting content up on the Facebook page, for example, and keeping a flow of posts on Instagram and those kinds of things and and trying to get content up as opposed to just making something of quality and of artistic value. Mm. And it's like, when's the last time I've made a film that wasn't tied to, to uni? Of course, we both graduated uni a little while in terms of mm. making short films and stuff. Yeah. Um, it just felt like the right move. And so I actually feel like I'm going to be more productive and actually put more stuff out by cancelling the label. You know, and I think it's had its good run. And the majority, I'll actually read it out real quick. I'll pull out the blog post. Just so for those of you, this is news too. I'll quickly just run through some of the operational changes, if you will. So mm-hmm. all the branding is still going to be up. So I'm not going to shut down Facebook. or It's also going to be up and all the videos are going to be on our channels and stuff still. Um, so that's all right. But if projects we've talked about, like Estrange, which goes back a long way now, Experimental Part 2, um, the, a new season of Soaring Saturdays I was going to do. And we had some plans to do new podcasts and stuff um, and new shows, which those are all just going to be cancelled now just because it's, it's just too much. It's too mm-hmm. overwhelming, you know. Um, there are free documentary behind-the-scenes films that we talked about before, my work on The Raven and Work From Home. There is a third one I'm scheduled to work on that we doesn't even have a name yet, actually, so it's pretty early. Uh, those will, of course, continue. I'll finish those and we'll get those out because that's not fair to the crews, mm-hmm. of course. Um, and that just would have been a waste of my time if I, especially for sets where I only did that, I only filled behind the scenes. If I'm just like, no, I don't want to put it out anymore. Yeah, no, um, that's fair. So that's fair enough. And it's then, kind of discontinuing from this point forward. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, and speaking of that, Disconnected mm. is uh, now free to watch on Vimeo. So there you go. For the first time ever, you can actually watch that for free. And the, and we're still selling DVDs for five bucks, but that's more of a fun. If you want it, you can have it. The, the majority, like 90% of the disc content is just on online now. The full panel that you hosted, that's online. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure... Oh, I think I think from next month, the bloop, the full blooper will be free as well. I think the only thing is the commentary track and then Zach's audition for mm. um, for Chris. I mean, those are like the only two things. But if you want the DVD for posterity's sake, you can still buy it for five bucks. It's, it's fine. Um, newsletters would be cancelled from now on the other podcast I did years ago Gamer String 2 podcast uh, will still be up on uh, Spotify for the foreseeable future the SoundCloud version will stop in January um, so that's another big part of this is that there's just a lot of money being spent on keeping services live mm. that I just I it's not that I don't have the money but it's like I could be spending it somewhere else yeah you know it's like who's listening to the Gamer String 2 podcast on SoundCloud mm-hmm. not enough people for me to be spending $150 a year to absolutely that ridiculous so January that goes out um, and yeah that's pretty much it like I said the ABN and, and the functional parts of it are still right you know what that's the best word for it Zeke discontinued yeah that's actually the be- I have been struggling to find the right word for it. I mean discontinued is correct because it still implies that I can do my own stuff in the future but under the label of clicker, not so much. Yeah. It's so, just clearance. It's yeah. just clearancing out the old stock. Yeah. Making <laughs> making new making new space. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like that word discontinue a lot. So that that's where we're at with clicker and um I, I appreciate the time I had there. 
I called it a dream come true because mm-hmm. there was a lot of great things about producing stuff for it, but it's time to move on, Zeke. It's I think it's a very on. fair thing um, to have that moment where you sort of take that step back and go, I'm putting too much you know, time and effort into... Mm. I think, like, yeah, like you said, keeping the wheels going on stuff that you know, might have stagnated mm. over time. Um, obviously, now you're now, like, you know, even though we did all that took us a while to get to the math around it, you've now done this show consecutively for two and a half years. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, to run this show is, between the two of us, is astronomically cheaper um, and content's yeah, 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 constantly being produced. So. But that's the thing, is it's ongoing. Yeah. You know, it's like we're not going to complain about service updates because it's a show we're still producing every week. Yeah. So, that's different. And... Yeah. You know, obviously, the turnaround and the output effort of creating this show for us now has become supplementary. It doesn't even affect us now, really. Mm. I mean, we've had some of the most turbulent times in our life on this show, and we still managed to keep it going <laughs> quite easily. I'm just fi- um, picturing us literally while recording. I mean, oh god, no! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've been through major lockdowns now, like yeah. personal stuff, holidays. Yeah. If you're me, <laughs> <laughs> if you're me playing video games at home <laughs> instead of holidaying, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, and and then you know we obviously got all the tertiary education stuff or, or career stuff. Yeah, so well, we graduated uni while doing the show yeah so i think it just comes back to um it's really good to take that step back and uh, especially like you said you know that's 150 dollars that can go put into another creative outlet somewhere else exactly it's just diverting and refocusing your attention on new creative endeavors rather than trying to stoke the fire on on ones that have come and yeah yeah. i guess is think the most is the most important distinction there i think that's a really good thing to move forward with. Yeah, well, that that's one of the details I haven't really talked... I haven't really talked about it much on the show, period. I haven't even mentioned it in career updates because it doesn't really feel like a career update. Mm. But, like, these the new jobs that I've been taking on, you know, things that actually do... You know, it's very rare in this industry, things that actually pay. Produce <laughs> income. Produce income, exactly. So it's it's one of those decisions where I, I can be in a different place in my personal life where I can be... A, I feel a little more relaxed, do a little less things, but only do the things that actually pay me a decent wage. Yeah. And it's it's not like a vanity thing at all because it's like, it it, it has like people first off you need money to live. <laughs> it's it, pra- it's practicality. I yeah, think at exactly. the end of the day, it's. I think one thing you brought up just in this conversation alone that's really important is like um, how long it's been since you've been on a one of your own film projects or created right. something solely. Yep. Like obviously in this last since we've left school, which we've been doing the show for a year at that point, um, I think. Um, yeah, we did. We were doing it close to a year. Yeah, yeah. What well, when we graduated? Yeah, yeah. That was a year. Yeah, so pretty much exactly. You know, yeah. uh, in the last year and a half, it's like yeah, you've been on plenty of projects, but yeah. and I've been on a couple of projects, but none of them were our own yeah. original. They weren't our babies. They were yeah, I think I think the last thing I produced myself proper was X Rental, which was episode like forty five. Yeah, when now, we talked about and that. like we said, we're in one twenty nine now, so that's yeah. nearly a hundred episodes ago. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really good that you're taking this time to, uh, yeah, focus on trying to produce new yeah. stuff. And, um, my question to you is, so will, Ooh. if you produce a new project in the next year, which there's a very good chance you will, does right. that go under clicker? Yeah. So I've, I've kind of mentioned this. I've, I've said on the very rare occasion that, um, you know, I have something to say, for example, cause like I want to go for that whole you know, if I produce something, the whole festival run, it takes a long time for it to appear online. I want to go through that route. 
Because um, we've been victims of that where we get excited and I think we post stuff online it's a bit too early. Rookie mistake. Yeah, yeah. We've learned that on this show. No, exactly. And it's like, we've definitely done stuff that could have had much better festival runs that yeah. we just frankly weren't patient enough to do because we wanted to get them out and put it on. I want to put it on Clicker Productions. I want to I want to have something to post this week. Let's put out this film that mm. we totally could have gone way further with. Yeah. But I needed content for my Facebook page. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. Ignore all of that. Um, eventually, years mm. down the line, if I make a short that it's time for it to go on Vimeo. I'll put it on the Clicker Facebook page. And it'll probably say, yeah, this is the thing. Does it have a Clicker production on it now? Mm. I, I guess technically, but I don't know. I think it could just become something different. There we go. Yeah, we're Exciting. still promoting this show on Clicker's Facebook page. Yeah. Every week, we're still going to be posting that. So yeah. discontinued, but not deleted. Mm. I don't know. It's a weird phrase. It's a good question, though, because I haven't quite answered that myself yet. There you go. We'll have to stay tuned on future career updates yeah. to get the answer to that question. <laughs> exactly. Probably. Next week's career update. <laughs> well, oh, I can't okay. say I have anything that has that level of gravitas on my end. Um, I'm really just enjoying my time, rest time. Yeah. Huh? Time between uni and obviously finish my prac as mm-hmm. of last week on the show, as I talked about it very briefly. I um, love my time there and yeah, just kind of my own space trying to get into a creative bubble yeah and might have some stuff in the next couple of weeks to start talking about Ooh, which exciting. will be very exciting but very good yeah for now it's just straight into what i watched in the last week yes so zeke what have you watched in the last week i'm, 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 I'm a bit curious <laughs> i want to know the answer so, to this for the record i've actually watched quite a bit in the last week okay um unfortunately the barometer <laughs> of, of of good um, is probably lacking. I'm waiting for my letterbox to uh. Oh, it's loading. Load. <laughs> it's trying to load all the, the film. Fil- the films speak for themselves. You can't even remember them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Without looking them up. Yeah, I had to. So I've actually watched. I'm just counting. Jesus, it's slow. Um, you know, my I've watched Wi-Fi, seven eh? in the last week. So okay. I've actually done one one for a day. Now I'm going to talk quite a bit about. Obviously, that includes the film of the week. Not going to say too much. I obviously, um, you know, I had a very chill day yesterday. I was hanging out with, uh, you know, one of the friends of our show, Morgan. Mm. Um, and we've talked about the Drink to Cringe game on this show. Um, and which we, we certainly have. Um, in which we tackled uh, two films, The Boy Next Door, which actually featured Jennifer Lopez, who I'm pretty sure oh, was also in another film that I watched this week, if I'm not mis- uh, mistaken. Um, that film was trash. We're not going to talk about that. It was a Blumhouse production. <laughs> it wasn't cringe funny. It was just bad. Um, it looks kind of... It's funny. You look at the... You read the description of it. I'm looking at the poster. And then you look at the little cover photo on Letterboxd. And it's like, it, this looks so cheap. I thought it was going to be something like darker and grittier. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it was, it, was it was a bad one. In, mm. in, I'm going to save Jennifer Lopez, though, because this is obviously relatively early, I think, in her acting uh, pursuits, and it was a rough performance by her. In defense, she was also in another film I watched this week, which I really enjoyed, mm. uh, which was the Lorene Scarfera's Hustlers. Um, oh, okay. Which is a crew of savvy former strip club employees band together to turn the tables on their Wall Street climates. I remember people were really upset she wasn't nominated for this film. I wouldn't go that far. Now, yeah, I, okay. <laughs> fair enough. This film is just, I think it's two hours ten. It's probably about 20 minutes too long. It gets very long-winded towards the end. It has good scenes, some really nice cinematography, some great editing flow. Mm. 
um, with some strong performances, Lopez included. But um, it, it doesn't hit that kind of next level. It's a good film. I, I, you know, avoiding the title, it's a good hustle film, you know? Right. It's a caper film. It's a sting You like your caper films. I do like my caper films, and this is a very unique take. Um, it actually ties very you know obviously it's based off i think a a book or at least a true story um and it ties the sort of strip clubbing profession in with what was going on in america at a time um and how the gfc actually affected that line of employment too Mm -hmm. so it sort of goes it, it starts i think in 2006 and finishes by 2014 so it's over that eight nine year period okay and yeah she's got a nice a great performance in it um and it's an interesting like I said, it's an interesting caper film, very unique, and it definitely gets props for that. It has some stylistic flair, but a little long-winded in parts and kind of drags itself out towards the end, unfortunately. Okay. Um, it's a bit of a shame. Uh, but I feel f- still seldom good on that film. Okay. Um, over back to the, the bad, um, <laughs> with uh, two films that both concern, in particular, technology... Um, we've got Bad Match and Jexy. Now, which one am I going to start with first? So, the other film that I enjoyed yesterday with Morgan... I thought was... that was one film, Bad Max and Jetsy. <laughs> um, we're going to start with Bad Match. So, Bad Match was um, a film that I had rock bottom after watching Boy Next Door was like, this is going to be another terrible one. Right. Uh, we type... We, what we normally do is our favourite drink to cringe film is called Swiped. And I've made, seen Swipes, yeah, with you guys, we, yeah. And it was bad, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was something else. Um, in which we normally type that into Netflix and then, as what did you put it, the, the, the trash comes out? Or, what did, how did you call oh, it? Oh, what swill? did I call it? I was giving you crap earlier uh, about it. Um, <laughs> the, I don't remember what I called it. Yeah, it was like, like trash or something like uh, that. Yeah. Uh, comes out and this one was associated with it now bad match honestly has been associated with swipe <laughs> was not nearly as bad in fact it looked like a masterpiece next to swiped which is not saying a lot um but it is a film that follows like this guy who's a bit of a womanizer he likes going on dates has one of the worst tinder knockoffs I've ever oh, ever seen and as, was it called Fetch? <laughs> it's called um I can't remember what it was called, but it was bad looking. Like I don't understand. I get it. Like they're trying to avoid like copyright infringements and stuff. Right. But, damn. It was, I think they did do the same trick as you though. They didn't make an app. They did a bunch of photos and then oh, like little video, little animations. video animation. I was proud of those though. Mine because um, yeah, little animation when they swipe and then my actress had to match it we got plenty of bloopers of it trying to match your fingers with well it. in all seriousness this film probably had probably a little bit more, it, it kind of it, it actually had a relatively you could tell it has a pretty low budget like a mm. very i'd say no more than 20 grand behind it um has a bunch of unknown actors you've never heard of before who actually give pretty decent performances and the writing is not terrible in parts okay. in parts there are some convoluted plot points that make next to no sense and, and the ending is, is pretty bad. Um, but I was left feeling not too bad about the film, in all things considered. I I, I, I sound like I said, it's still two out of five. It doesn't get a passing grade. But for a film that I had rock-bottom expectations, I was nice that I got off the seafloor, you know? Okay. Um, it had moments of 
like, oh my God, I'm actually getting a little bit invested in this plot. Like it's actually mm. not as bad as I thought. Um, they kind of flip it on its head. So the protagonist and they sort of do a role flip, but there are a couple of convoluted plot moments that obviously really do tarnish the the good aspects of the film right. unfortunately it's funny when you mentioned that little plot it immediately reminded me of i think it's a french film called i am not an easy man which is sort of about this playboy guy who ends up i think he ends up like in an alternate world where he still looks like a guy um and you know women still look like women but the roles have flipped where it's like now he's the one that's getting sort of sexually harassed mm. by these sort of foxy well, women and, and he becomes like a men's right activist in this but, alternative world it's interesting and, and basically yeah, he's doing a lot of one night stand stuff he comes across this girl that's a little bit more obsessive and compulsive and you think oh she's right. going to be a serial killer you know she's right and you know she's actively ruining his life because he's rejected her and mm. it actually you get about an hour in and you start and he's becoming more and more unhinged so a lot of the psychotic behavior actually starts to go from him projecting that from her onto him actually doing it and right okay and it does lead to some uh so it does do a kind of a antagonist protagonist uh flip or sorry good guy bad guy flip more importantly yeah yeah um, but even playing with gender roles in a, in a way yeah yeah, yeah, yeah a little okay. bit um and uh yeah so it actually was a pretty for its budget which looked like i said very very low as compared right. to boy next door which is blumhouse production clearly had a couple of mil behind it has no real excuse, no place, no creativity, nothing. It was just dirt <laughs> terrible. Dirt um, terrible. And whereas this one, it's like you could tell it's trying and it's clearly very limited. And I was, I was pointing things out to Morgan that you can really identify it as it's very much a low-budget film. Mm-hmm. Like friends of characters to the main character kind of look a little similar. So you can clearly tell they probably all went to the same audition that guy didn't get cast in the main role, so he got put in a supplementary role. You know what I'm talking about. Awesome. You know what I'm talking about. Micro-budget workaround stuff. Um, oh, that's funny. And same thing with the girls. Um, they would look like, the same. They just kind of look a little similar. Um, it's like when Emma Stone and La La Land's walking out, everyone looks like her. <laughs> but like, not, not the stain, no stains on their dresses and shit. <laughs> So, um, I actually felt not too bad about that one. I don't have much to say about Jexy. It's a phone that it's Adam Devine comedy with, um, actually, you know, like some half decent people cast in it. She had him at hello. And it just, it's basically, it's the parody film for her, right? Like that's kind of, Oh, okay. It's probably the closest way of associating it. Yeah. That sounds awful. It was, (laughs) yeah. Um, 80 minutes. I'm not getting back. Um, I don't know what to say about it. It, it, it. You know, you look at the cast. Adam Devine's not a bad actor, but he's normally in these god-awful films. And, right. Um, I don't find him that his humour that funny. You know, it's got um, Michael Pena in it. I've pretty um, much only ever seen him in Pitch Perfect. Oh, okay, fair. He's really not in anything else. So weird. I mean, he's in, like, Why Him and, and the Neighbours. And Rose Burns the voice, so I just think uh, okay. of Mother. Like, where she's also the voice of an AI in, yeah. in that. And, and, you know, it, it's a... It's like a, it's a fine. It's 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 a it's one of those brain dead comedies. Right. Unfortunately, it just didn't make me laugh. Oh, that's fair. Um, yeah, Rose Byrne is in episode two of Star Wars, Attack of the Clones. That's her top credit on here. <laughs> I guess she might be one of the. Maybe she's a droid. <laughs> no, maybe she's like um the Queen Amidala. Like she's Padme's, she's the one Padme's. she's the one that blows up at the start. <laughs> 
Who knows? She might actually be. I, no, I feel like I feel like we actually do know the actress who blew up at the start of the film. Mm. I feel like it's someone who like went on to be really famous. Well, like, speaking forgetting. of Lucas and or Spielberg, um, my last What's film that? that I caught in this <laughs> oh, right, week Lucas, yeah. was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That was a stretch and a half for that transition. I tried, <laughs> tried my best to move away from Jexy as quick as possible. Fair enough. Um, and of course, I loved Close Encounters. I don't know if you've caught Close Encounters no, of the Third Kind. No, I've never seen it before. Um, it's probably one of Spielberg's slowest. And obviously, this is starting. This is really in the golden age of. Of, of Spielberg films, um, definitely probably, like I said, yeah, one of the slowest, bit more of a closer to something like Arrival and mm. and um, Contact, a film that's more about making, like I said, that, yeah, well, you know, like in the title of Contact, making that Crossing first, it's that first contact, okay. you know, it's really about um, the build to the final, like the first meeting, the final first meeting, and yeah, the last. 30 minutes of the film are literally just on this landing pad um, building up to this first thing. It's good. It's a, it's a real, it's just probably one of my uh, least favourite from that time. It's not quite on the same, like I think E.T. is, is oh, interesting. Okay. better. Probably the Indiana Jones films are probably all better. And, yeah. and These do better. technically predate all of them. It, it's after Jaws though. This yes. might have been his first film after Jaws, but... Yeah. yeah. It's a good film to be following up from Jaws. Okay. Um, but... I still think Jaws would even be better. So I think he does get a little... I think the 80s is his golden decade. Yeah. That's fair fair enough. That call. And that's all I watched last week. Jake, what about you? (laughs) That's all you watched? Oh, wow. (laughs) Thought you would have caught some more. Um, (laughs) No, well, I I didn't watch myself much in the last week, but I did watch a couple of things that very heavily tie into our film of the week. So I think it'll be a nice natural transition from this straight into the film oh. of the week which is well, great well I actually forgot one more oh no um, <laughs> you might have seen it see I told oh, you you needed to watch more Zeke uh, <laughs> so this has actually just been released on Netflix this is America the Motion Picture so this is that I don't know if you've seen the trailer <laughs> oh, for oh, this Jake. No. oh it's a new film okay yeah 2021 release um, oh god so Channing Tatum I'm just gonna read the the logline, a chainsaw-wielding George Washington teams with beer-loving bro Sam Adams to take down the Brits in a tongue-in-cheek riff of the American Revolution. <laughs> this is Matt Thompson's technical directorial debut as per Letterbox. And <laughs> Matt Thompson, most generic name I've ever heard. This is rough. This is a rough... I mean, it's got, like you said, Channing Tatum, uh, Channing Tatum Olivia Mum, uh, Jason Manzukis, who is in a lot of kind of low-brow comedies. I think he was in The House and right. and Brooklyn. He features on Brooklyn Nine-Nine occasionally. And he was on The Dictator. Yeah. But he was also on Disaster Artists. So that's a thumbs up for me. I don't... Look, <laughs> I think, you know, obviously Channing Tatum's the leading man. This definitely fits into that category of your 21, 22 Drum Street level of humour. Mm. Um, okay. Only if the scene where Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill are tripping is the whole film. Oh, no. Um, that's kind of what... It's not the funniest part of those films. Dude, this, this, film, this film was trying so hard to capture like the magic that something like Team America could catch. Like, yeah, clear, from that very, poster. <laughs> very, <laughs> like, look how self-aware of American culture we are. Like, literally the same right. sort of... Um, obviously taking, obviously, a different time frame... And then it tries to parody Star Wars. It's not good. It's just not good. I honestly think I laughed. I laughed probably more at Jexy than I did at this. 
and that's bad. Yeah, it's it's a pretty bad streak for you, to be honest. It's a tough week. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tough week. It's been a tough time, man. Oh, I'm hoping next week will be... And that's all I watched in the last week. So, yes, um, <laughs> we can uh, talk about your stuff on the second half of the show. Yeah, well, like, well like I'll, your... still, I'll still bring it up because okay. they're still separate. Feel, I mean, pretty, we could say that our Disney animation conversation can start now. Sure. Because there's a lot to talk about in terms of... of the early 40s Disney. Yeah, there's a bit of a history yes. there. But um, the the two that I watched was... Well, first off, I watched Fantasia. Mm-hmm. So, 1940. I mean, obviously, we talked about it. We It's on the poster, yep. as we mentioned. But, um, yeah, it's interesting because this came out in the same year as uh, Pinocchio. But uh, I don't know if they consider this, like, their third feature or the second. Obviously, Pinocchio is their second feature. That's pretty yeah. distinguished. Um, but the idea behind this, it actually spawned from The Sorcerer's Apprentice... Um, short film that is probably the most famous thing about Fantasia is Mickey Mouse with the hat and creates the live broom that comes about and that animation is so classic Mm -hmm. and this might have been the first time I watched it from start to finish was a part of this film which ends up actually being just a concert feature where they're playing the concert and all of the animations on screen uh, are in service of the music Mm -hmm. so which is very rare usually music is created in service of the story Mm -hmm. and in service of the visuals that are on usually you you know mix your music to the score in this case it's the other way around Mm -hmm. so sort of a fantastic idea from very early on and the reason that it wasn't just the sorcerer's apprentice is because it cost them way too much money to make that little five ten minute short and i'm like well the only way we're going to make our money back is to actually just make a full feature film out of this Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought it was pretty excellent. I'm not going to lie, because it is sort of a Koei Nascotsi-esque animation film, but it's over two hours long. So I, admittedly, I was sort of fidgeting in my chair at times, because there's a lot of pieces that are very abstract animation, which is fantastic, because you know you think about how old it is. It's over 80 years old. Mm-hmm. So even that stuff is like impressive in how they're matching these abstractions, which nowadays you would see on like your Windows Media Player thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the little waveforms coming out, and they even created... A character called the soundtrack which is just like a shy waveform that like doesn't like to make noise but then it does and it sort of sprouts out um but then as the film goes on you do get these more elaborate animation pieces there's one about the dawn of time and the dinosaurs which is shockingly dark i mean that might be a, a common theme today is a shockingly dark disney mm-hmm. stories <laughs> when yes. you think about it yeah but um i really liked a lot of that stuff um and and I know over time, like they've lost certain pieces to to time, and they've had to reconstruct them or repair damaged film, which we've talked about. I think just last week, yeah, we talked about that topic, and then even re-recording the music with more modern technology. So it is sort of a, a ship of thesis, sort of. Um, is it what is it thesis? Is that the pronunciation? Yes. Yeah. Um, thesis. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of a similar thing with that. Where I'm watching the Disney Plus live stream version of it or live stream, the stream of Disney Plus and it's like well how much of this is like restored or refixed or you know, there's a lot of questions like that but I'm mm-hmm. ultimately getting the experience that they designed um, so I thought it was really great in, in that aspect and I just love how they um, you know give characters personalities like I said you know the, the soundtrack the fact that that's like a character the fact that Mickey Mouse has these little like hiccups and we're going to talk about Jiminy Cricket having hiccups in Pinocchio as well that just sort of ground the character um, which is fascinating, but they also made—I didn't know this—they mm-hmm. made Fantasia 2000. Yeah, which is yeah, I didn't know that. I straight mm. didn't know that, that there was a sequel to Fantasia. Now, I there's a lot about it I actually liked more than the original. I think the general stories that they're telling in the pieces mm. 
because uh, it's a very similar structure. It's a concert and they have animations to that music. Um, I liked a lot of those individual pieces better. I mean, they're more entertaining. I think the stories were more engrossing. It was kind of like an old, you know, Pixar short. Or what, what's the one where, like, it's a 2D animation of the guy and he sees the girl across the building and they have, like, this unspoken relationship and they finally meet each other at the train station. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that short, if you recall what I'm talking about, it has that energy. A lot of it is really sweet, nice stories. There's one in particular... Um, I wrote it down. It's like a jazz piece. Uh, oh, uh, Rhapsody in Blue, which is such a Charlie Chaplin homage. It's just so nice because it was like, oh, this is totally Charlie Chapman thing that they're doing. But on the... Uh, and I also like the fact that it was like only 80 minutes this time. It was way shorter, which helps a lot. Mm-hmm. You kind of... You're in and you're out. So I like that energy. But it does show its age a bit more because it's 2000 now. Well, I think it was 1999 when it actually released. And they're like, oh, well, we have CGI now. We can implement CGI. And it's like, oh, it doesn't hold up very well. <laughs> Some of it doesn't hold up. And they have like Steve Martin and stuff doing the the intro pieces between mm. the, the pieces. And I'm like, that just shows your age. Steve Martin doing kind of boring comedy. Like yeah, it, it just it's, it doesn't feel natural, you know? Yeah. The original Fantasia, it's so formal. You know, it's like a true... Orchestr- orchestral performance whereas you're getting the guy who's playing Pink Panther and yeah and he's like making jokes yeah. and he's like oh I you know I can play the violin too haha <laughs> I'm funny and it's like it's not, it's not Steve Martin's fault but it's mm-hmm. just like a weird choice to have him do that well, it ages it quickly yeah it very, you're right it ages it so and it's like the fact that the 1999 film feels way more aged than the 1940 film just based on how they went about the animation and presentation mm-hmm. it's fascinating but yeah, so I, I obviously watched those two films in conjunction with the fact that we're talking about a film of the week this week. Well, it's time for us to move into our film of the week. But, Jake, what are we watching? This week on the show, we're watching Pinocchio. A marinette must earn the right to become a real boy by providing, proving to be truthful, brave, and selfless. He's assisted by Jiminy Cricket, his assigned conscience. Yeah, it's true. He's assigned. Yes. He doesn't. Well, I guess he kind of willingly jumps into it. Yeah, it's interesting. Pinocchio. Well, he... Pinocchio. Pinocchio. That's um. Yes, yeah, so obviously, <laughs> this is my first go around with Pinocchio. I didn't catch any of the Fantasia films that we discussed in the first half of the show. That's all right. Um, cause yeah, I, I think for me it's uh, Disney early dinner as an animation is really interesting because I really find, and this does tie into our discussion, even the first half of the show, just the power of Disney animation. It's so important. The ones that you watch as a kid are mm. the ones that you often gravitate yourself to more. 
Right. There's a nostalgic um, value to it. And by this I mean, um, if you didn't watch Pinocchio as a younger child, you're not as inclined as a fully grown... Like, I... The only... I have to be honest, the only reason I watched this film is mm. because we have to do it on the show this week because right. of our, our poll, which is the one of the benefits of our countdown through the decade poll. Right, we watch stuff that we wouldn't have otherwise seen. Yeah, it's 100% the benefit. Because I grew up with stuff like Robin Hood and Jungle Book and right. films. And so if those, if you're, or even like, um, you know, mostly Winnie the Pooh and stuff like that, you know, mm. like, so the funny thing is if I see that on the, on, on my TV screen pop up randomly and stuff, I'd be more inclined to watch that. Right. Than I would to be, try something new. I, I guess. No, because you established the whole, I don't want to call it a genre, but like this specific style of animation mm. you associate with your childhood. So you don't necessarily want to go after something new. I was talking to a friend yesterday. He's talking about um, Treasure Planet mm-hmm. and just like how much they love Treasure Planet. I got to get into it. And it's like, I don't have that same inkling to watch it mm. because if I want to jump into this genre of animation, it's for the comfort. It's to watch something I'm familiar with. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. I get that. And so it's like, I've never, I, to this point, never seen Pinocchio. I haven't seen either of the Fantasias that we talked about in the first half of the show. I've never seen Snow White the whole way through. And Interesting. I watched a bit of it yesterday just, um, to, just to see how they did it. Yeah. Um, and I just never, and I don't think I've seen Sleeping Beauty or I don't think I've seen Cinderella. Like, I, I, I just, those things, I just never got played in my house. I never watched them. And right. later Disney animation did get played in my house. When you start to push into particularly the seventies, the eighties, the the nineties. Um, well, you were born in the seventies. Would you uh, <laughs> wish? Um, and yeah, so I think it's just a byproduct of, of that sort of uh, just your upbringing. So diving into this film, it's, uh, you know, and we're going to probably t- t- type on quite a bit about dark Disney early stuff. Um, <laughs> It's the same thing, a similar thing with things like watching Dumbo, like the 40, what is that, 40-something, I don't know what Dumbo is, it's like 40. Oh, not 100%, I know Bambi is like 42. I think Dumbo's at the other end, I think it's like 48 or 49. Okay. Um, well, like the stuff wrong. you're talking about, like Jungle Book and that, that's 50s, 60s era, like Peter Pan. Mm. Like Yeah, those, those I've are... seen Peter Pan. Right, um, yeah, yeah. So that's probably where I really got to watch a lot of those ones, and... Um, Particularly those earlier ones obviously didn't shy away from those those dark points. And mm. if we talk about forties Disney animation too, it you you can't go past the fact that this is obviously you know this film came out nineteen forty, like you just said, Bambi forty two. Mm. That's in the middle of the Second World War. Yeah, and, yeah. This um, film released in the middle of World War Two, yeah. and that sort of stuff is really important to talk about. Particularly, you know, the fact that Disney did put out a propaganda shorts film against, mm. uh, you know, obviously with anti, you know, German and I guess even anti-Italian, which is very curious that they, you know, obviously Pinocchio is a Italian folklore story generally, isn't it? Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it definitely has that feeling. It definitely feels like an Italian I mean, story. What's interesting though, because if you actually watch the extras that are attached to the Disney Plus stream of Pinocchio, they have like extras um, that you can, you know, little five-minute bits you can watch. And they specifically talk about that, how they were contracted to make those videos for, like, I think $80,000. They're like, our budget's $80,000. Can you make this? And Disney's like, I, I guess so, yeah. Walt Disney, mm. of course, and, and his brother, who's more the financy at the time. Um, but, yeah, those were made in tangent with Pinocchio. And I, it's interesting you point that out, that it almost seems contradictory, the messages between them, or at least, like, the themes and the tones mm. of, of the story. 
versus the propaganda piece. But it's like, I think those were just contra- contracted work. Mm. So, and I think, or Disney, you know, you can say what you want about him. It feels like he had an authentic excitement about these animated films about making them absolutely so um, it's interesting though then Trump's to go it, yeah. on and use that power and like like i said you know 40 43 to be making that short film education for death yeah which you know obviously featured donald duck as the main character of that of that particular piece um i just find it really interesting because that production context is really interesting to consider um there's obviously no, no political messaging, I think, in this in this particular piece. Um, in Pinocchio? Yeah. Well. Whoa. In terms of the outside world at the current time. Well, I think in terms of, uh, in, in terms of capitalism, in terms of people's way of making money, oh, th- there's a yeah, lot that's... of caricatures in there. I think that is something that's definitely touched on. Mm. Are you talking more like just like the wartime stuff? The, the war, war commentary. Yeah, okay. Um, but the capitalistic stuff, yeah, sure. I mean, oh, yeah. I think that's definitely definitely prevalent, especially with like characters like Stromboli and stuff like that. Yeah, with Stromboli and, and Honest John, and like the, all of these characters are such stark contrast to Pinocchio, mm-hmm. who is such you know this innocent, only born yesterday kid who has no conception of money and all of that. The, the Pinocchio's goal is to be a real boy to to earn these values that he's told mm-hmm. is to be a real boy. You know, honesty and and bravery and all of these things. And then you have every, almost every other character. There's like four villains in this film, which is kind of insane if you think about it. And they're all, with the exception of the whale, <laughs> which is probably fair enough, with the exception of the whale, all those characters are after money. They're after the easy buck, despite the moral implications of, of turning children into donkeys and selling them off to circuses and mm-hmm. all of these horrible things. It's really dark. It is. It's it's, very it's, dark. If you break down the story of Pinocchio, it's horrible horrifying and i didn't end up watching any of the adaptations unfortunately obviously there's the one that came out pretty recently mm-hmm. it's on disney plus now and then there's the um the guy who did life is beautiful i keep forgetting his name but he did his own adaptation um and they're all mixed results but it's like i wonder how dark theirs is outwardly how outwardly dark are those ones because it's just a dark story it's so messed up <laughs> finding stupid little boys for pleasure island yeah <laughs> <laughs> when I come to Pleasure Island, Zeke. <laughs> Michael Jackson there? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Cancelled. We're cancelled. Yeah. Um, it is a it yeah. is an interesting film because it's like if like to have that weird sort of... Maybe this is this is a, a particular prominent point of, of early Disney animation to have such heavy themes mm. directed in a kid's film. It almost was that real aggressive way of, of educating the youth of, of all of the dangers that they go into when they go into the world there. Yeah. And there was no, almost was no such thing as subliminal messaging because the messages were so very overt and on the <laughs> surface. You know, They just flash every five frames, join the army, join the army. <laughs> and I, I think that's really important because obviously, you know, especially when you push a couple of years into the future where you've got things like education for death, where it's overtly just propaganda against, the Nazi regime. Right. And on top of that, you know, like there are quite overt themes in, in Bambi too, you know, like that are very on the surface and very clear cut. So I think, yeah, to the, like you said, I think caricatures are very important in this Mm. and only, and they're particularly brass and sharp in these 40 animations. They definitely Mm. smoothen out a little bit more as they push into the fifties and sixties. They're still there, right? but they're not as, as aggressive, I think. Yeah, well, I think I think the film makes it very clear who who the bad guys are, and who are the good mm. guys. And you have 
True, but you would say you would argue one of the people that has the most like important character arcs is Jiminy Cricket in the story. Yeah, absolutely, because he is actually quite selfish too in in the beginning of the the film. I mean, he's he's crashing mm. in Geppetto's workshop. You know, I think it's really important his clothing at the start of the film. He's kind of, you know, his clothing yeah. is well, like, no- of, a, of a homeless man. Well, you know? I noticed that the, even um, Honest John and his assistant, they both have tons of patches on their fiends and both their hats have like little crooked broken mm-hmm. pieces on them. So that, that's a, a constant thing in the costuming mm-hmm. is, is very clearly this person is poor, this person is not, just based on how they're dressed. Mm-hmm. They make it very clear. So and he a good only, point. Well, I mean, Jiminy only gets the really nice suit when the fairy grants him the ability of the conscience and then yeah. gets you know, gifted that kind of wealthier suit because what it basically, I think it's trying to infer is the good people are well-dressed and, and wealthy and, and the bad people are, are poor and, and it has maybe a very classist way of looking at right Possibly, and wrong. Possibly. I think, I think the film is about rewarding the characters who are, who have good moral skills. And that's why Pinocchio is rewarded at the end when he goes out of his way to save Geppetto and Jiminy Cricket's rewarded because it, even though there's like that little bit where he's like love struck, by the fairy, but it's like you're agreeing to be this kid's conscience. That's like an inherently good thing to, and and he, mm-hmm. he even says like, "Oh, I forgot about you." When he's looking at himself in the mirror, so like there's a little selfish tendencies in Jiminy Cricket. He actually does remind me a bit of Jim from The Office, not just because he literally talks to the camera, mm-hmm. but he kind of has this snarky comment about everything. It's like it's this attitude that he thinks he's probably the smartest guy in the room constantly. Yeah, um, and then sometimes gets checked for that, like yeah, Jim yeah. does in The Office. Yeah, a thousand percent, yeah. It's a weird the, comparison. I was going to say, you are probably the first person in film history to compare <laughs> Jim from The Office to Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> They're both named Jim. <laughs> you probably get that meme of, of Jim from The Office explaining yeah. how he's related to Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Let's make it. He just ends um, looking at the camera. No, but it's like, and I'm not trying to be like, oh, I just watched The Office, so I'm comparing it to The Office. It's like, no. That I was... think it's a very good, p- I think, because yeah. I do think Jiminy thinks he is the smartest person in the room and he yeah. kind of knows better and... But he's also not like a horrible person. So yes. in the face of like, oh, he's seen Pinocchio, he's getting persuaded by by um, I forget the word that he uses. I'm um, temptation. Yeah, he goes out of his way to help Pinocchio. Yes, or constantly over and over again, he goes out of his way to save the boy. So he's got he does have a good heart, even though he's yeah probably a bit of a pompous. Well, he's, he's very he's very he's, he's, he's an early Han Solo. You know, he's kind <laughs> of like a he's inherently a good person, but you know he does like having that positive attention or being patented. He does have that level of ego there, for sure. Yeah, well, it's interesting the way you describe him as, like, crashing in Geppetto's house because like, he is like a cricket at the end of the day. Like, there's crickets in the house. True. I mean, it's the whole but joke like of, like, the, the spider doesn't pay rent. When being really loud and he's the one who yells <laughs> okay, quiet. Okay, that's, that's a really good point. He's like, quiet! It's like, like it's, dude, you're, you're <laughs> you don't in, live here. Yeah, exactly. So, that's a really... I think that's one of the points that really clearly... And he really only says yes to being the conscience because... He's love-struck by the, the fairy. The fairy. Yeah. And, he, yeah, he's kind of like... <laughs> and the only reason he, he talks in the first place about what a conscience is is he kind of wants to sound like a smart guy. Like, he knows what a conscience is. Right. So he's yeah, trying he's so shocked. A, a brainless kid, Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. That, I, I will give you that a thousand percent when he tells everyone to shut up. Right. <laughs> he's crashing in someone else's home. Yeah, and it's just like little things like, you know, in that song where he's like <laughs> dancing with the girl clock and he's oh, yeah. worried that he gets cut in. Like, oh, yeah. But technically, in. in that inflection, he's stealing that woman's yeah, man yeah, anyway. Yeah. So 
there is that like, he's kind of pervy too. By the he way, he definitely is. He is. Like even yeah, when when he's watching that that circus show, oh, with the marionettes, he doesn't he doesn't look until all the girl marionettes are dancing. He's like, whoa! Yeah. He's like, he's what's his name from Dragon Ball Z? He's when that I have no string song is playing. I'm oh, literally yeah. like, so he's just Jiminy is a bit of a perv, isn't he? He's just. <laughs> <laughs> Pinocchio's there having a grand old time. He's got four ladies sitting yeah, on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't even know what's going on. He's getting his head nose stuck in the pool every two seconds. Ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's so true. And it's funny because it was like I was saying earlier with how um, Disney, especially early Disney, had such a way of creating these little hiccups for their characters. And what I was referring to earlier was the very opening shot when... Uh, well, not the opening shot, but at the beginning when he he opens up the storybook to tell the story of Pinocchio and he has to like physically hold down the page because he's too small and the page keeps falling on him. And I was like, that's just such a clever little detail that it's almost fourth wall breaking because that, what does that add to the story? Nothing really. It's about yeah. adding this little fun quirk that, that Jiminy yeah. Cricket has to, he's like, oh yeah, he's small. I thought and you the, were referring to someone getting the hiccups from drinking. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> uh. No, but just like these little mistakes and it's like it's, it's not perfect. And I know there's like tons of little info videos with Mickey Mouse, um, where you know he's he's walking around demonstrating. This is another thing they created the multiplane for this film, which is what, a way of creating depth in establishing shots. And when I rewatched Snow White, I was like, oh wow, yeah, you can tell the difference in Snow White when they you know there's an establishing shot of a castle and you zoom in, mm-hmm. um, they're just zooming into a a flat image. Yes. And then in Pinocchio, you actually notice that there's depth and layers to all the the establishing shots. So when they're zooming into you know all the houses, you could see we're pan- we're dollying through the trees, and that the trees are moving towards the camera at a different speed than the houses are, and the moon in the background is moving at a different speed than the houses that are closest to the forefront. It just creates this um, depth that I did not realize did not exist before Pinocchio. This was all Disney mm. going out of their way, and I say their and his, as in Walt Disney himself, and then the company, Disney, going out of their way to, you know, just just revolutionize animation as a whole. And I didn't realize this. It is still to the day this film considered one of the most technically perfect animated films of all time, from like a technical standpoint, Mm. which I was shocked by. I was going to say, because its pacing is is kind of... It's like a collection of four very short films, isn't it? It does feel very, yeah, like a lot of short films... Back to back. Like, I mean, it's, I think, it's very clear scenes. I think the most important thing you you brought it up at the start of this conversation is the fact that there are technically four antagonists, like yeah. four main villains of the film. So really, is the anti? I mean, they're, they're probably not overtly antagonists. In fact, Pinocchio is probably the biggest antagonist to himself. Really, <laughs> yeah. Um, temptation, yeah. You know, it's very uh, man versus himself sort of conflict, I guess. And you could almost argue that. Jiminy might be the central. Is Jiminy the the central protagonist of this? Of you this could piece? argue that you totally could. It's um, his story. We start from his perspective, um, and it's and the, the obstacles he undergoes is being a caretaker. Yeah. So he could be seen as the protagonist of this film, and Pinocchio could actually be seen as kind of a, an antagonist because he's the one actively <laughs> preventing Jiminy from accomplishing the goal of looking after him. In, in a way, but but there's also this inherency where I was reading differences between this and the book that it's based on. Okay. And the thing that shocked me was that Jiminy Cricket was barely even a character in the book. He was actually called the Talking Cricket, and he actually gets stepped on in the first like chapter, and then is not in the rest of the book. Mm. So a big thing that Disney did, like seven months into production, 
was completely reworked Jiminy Cricket's role in the film, which, you know, we both argue he could be the protagonist, just mm. the way the film's structured around him. So that's kind of a huge jump <laughs> halfway yeah. through production to make that change. But um, I mean, the very at the very least, he's a narrator. Like that's, yeah, exactly, like... exactly. But the the in, to that point of is Pinocchio a villain to himself? I mean, yeah, he's he's a young boy, very young, mm-hmm. naive, and doesn't really have any wariness, and and his conscience is always you know two steps behind, chasing him literally, mm-hmm. and he's always ignoring him. So yeah, like Pinocchio is a, a pain in the yeah, bum. And, but it's and, like any child deceptive to the surroundings and it's obviously obviously with jiminy being the living embodiment of a person's conscience is is a really interesting way of telling the story because like you said is literally two steps behind him and it's like that's very true he's constantly having to chase after pinocchio as he's being swept up by like your honest johns and your, yeah you know like getting um, on, and pleasure <laughs> island getting you know getting swept up by the boys you know with their you know aggrandizing behavior and stuff like yeah. that so it's really interesting that it's like obviously only when he um you know can physically kind of be one with Pinocchio mm. like physically you know whether he's being held or he's like in you know in and around or they're in a cage together yeah, yeah exactly it's like that's only the time that kind of Pinocchio ever directly listens to him yeah yeah um, and then it even so it's works a metaphor for his conscience being oh, behind him absolutely and that responsibility and it, and it works in the inverse as well at the end when they are obviously they go into the water together to find Geppetto and I got mm-hmm. I gotta say there's nothing I could do to defend this that is the funniest moment when Pinocchio reads a letter and you're like oh your dad's being eaten by a whale <laughs> come I'm not gonna lie that comes out of nowhere <laughs> well, a lot, I feel like a lot of this it's a very like it's like it's like, oh, and he's off to join the circus. Oh, he's on an island with a bunch of drinking and smoking uh, yeah, but boys it, who least... are getting turned into donkeys. Like... Yeah, yeah. No, look, at least I think those are sort of prep because we do see Honest John convincing him to do those things. So we do have those sort of introductory scenes. So we at least get him... Okay, now we understand he's in the circus because Honest John convinced him he wants to be an actor. Oh, he's on Pleasure Island because Honest John convinced him that he he got a diagnosis and needs to needs to rest or go there to celebrate. Like the donkeys, yeah, that kind of comes out of nowhere, but at least that that's sort of motivated. Well, I guess the metaphor... You know they're up to something. You yeah, know that. and it's like the donkeys are obviously a very obvious analogy for their behaviour. Right. They're, they're being an ass. Um, oh, they say that a lot. Um, <laughs> they physically say it. And yeah. it's like, so my thing is, I don't get the whale. Why is it a whale? Yeah, no, I, I there's nothing I can do. <laughs> it's so random. Like, and- why not a shark? Like, like even when did well, sharks were that not a prominent threat in the 1940s? No, like, I think I think the the whale is just bigger in general. A whale's way bigger than a shark, um, especially this one. Especially um, oh, what's his name? The the whale has a name. Like, yeah, Monstro, uh, Monstro, yeah. something like that. Um, and all and all the fish run away when they're like, oh, where's Monstro? Like, oh, screw this amount. It does come out of nowhere, and it like you can assume when you see that he uh, he's swallowed the entire boat mm-hmm. and that Geppetto and, it, and, and everyone's on the boat. It's like, okay, I guess that kind of makes sense. He, I he swallowed the boat, but they didn't even have one establishing shot of them deciding to go to sea to look for Pinocchio. Yeah. Like, that... It could have had that. It could have had... Because it's so random. The last time we saw Geppetto at that point was him crossing, like, that little railroad. Yeah. It's not a railroad, but he sees the carriage with Pinocchio in it. I'm pretty sure that's the last time we... Oh, no, no, no. Is that the last time we see him? That's the last time I remember. Yeah, because there's the dinner scene where he tells... Tells him, I'm going. Yeah, yeah. no one eat No anything. one eat. No one eat. Cleo and... um, I always forget the cat's name. Um, 
because I'm trying to remember Geppetto's name and now I'm forgetting the cat's name. I wonder if it's credited. I wonder if there's a a credit. We got the credits here for Dickie Jones, who played Pinocchio. Uh, Figaro. Oh, oh, Figaro, of course. Figaro. Um, People are screaming at me right now. <laughs> um, Yeah, he's telling Figaro not to eat. But uh, you're right. I think that scene was before the carriage scene. So, yeah, it does come out of nowhere. That not even one scene where they're like, oh, let's go out to sea. Maybe he got lost in the water or something. You know, and then from there, it's like, oh, he got in by way. At least it's like a slightly smoother transition. Mm. It's very weird. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I, 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 the way all, the only rational answer is it's a big thing, but like you could yeah. do like an octopus. I mean, this is a mythical story. Why are you picking well, like one of the no, like nicest, softest animals? Oh, it's an evil whale. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it seems very odd to me. Yeah, but you, an octopus is not the size of a whale, though. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a giant octopus. Yeah, but I don't know. Like it's, it's, what, it's strange. Are you going to ground yourself in real scientific realism now? Like, that's what you're like. I'm not the one doing scientific <laughs> realism. You're the one. You're like, why isn't it an octopus? <laughs> why, why isn't it a big, big, really big shark? Like a megalodon. I know, because whales are already big. It's back in a whale. I don't know. Whales I mean, nice. I mean, look, that, that actual, that whole set piece of them, of Pinocchio finding his dad and the, well, and then setting the lighter mm-hmm. so they get sort of sneezed out and then that whole chase. From, just from like an animation standpoint, it's it's absolutely insane. It's really good. How ambitious that is for the time and even, and even now, just the way it all looks. First, I love the way water looks mm-hmm. in all of these early Disney films. Even Fantasia has incredible water effects. They're not effects. It's just good animation. Yeah. But, um, and that's another thing I want to mention as well. Not only was the multiplane created for this film, but apparently the effects work was like revolutionary at the time. Like the sparks from the, the fairy's wand and those oh, elements yeah. were apparently like incredible that they did that at the time which i was like, okay that's cool i was reading that and there's just a lot of really incredible animation work and i love the attention to detail yeah but it's really nice yeah. putting one of these types of films under the spotlight on our show i think to yeah well exactly the, the progression of animation um i think that you're always going to talk about that process the most with these kinds of films mm. because you know, it's like we're saying with the story, it's like there, it almost feels like, yes, yeah, four smaller segmented stories kind of mushed right. together. Um, I mean, that's just an element of, of the Disney company being used to making shorts. Mm-hmm. So they didn't really know how else to make features as opposed to just chunks. And I mean, that's yeah, what scenes the story, are. I, mean, I think the story evolution came over time. I mean, like yeah. you, you said, this is the second credited feature length film by them. I yeah. mean, let's give them some credit here. And, Obviously, they they pick a story that, you know, is is not as traditional too. It's not a traditional princess film, which, no, to be honest, no. was quite you know obviously will go on to be quite synonymous with the Disney image in the next ten to fifteen years of yeah. of their storytelling. So you know, to go from Snow White to this film is, is very interesting. It is, yeah, it is an interesting jump, and even thematically, I can't figure that's on my head. Snow White having themes anywhere near as dark or as no, worldly as Pinocchio has. Well, not in, not in. Obviously, this is, and this is, comes back to a pretty common recurring theme of all of uh, their brothers' grim adaptations from mm. um, princess stories. They obviously cut out all of the grim parts of it. Um, <laughs> so a lot of those stories obviously are very dark, way more darker in their story book forms than they are in their Disney animation forms. However, like we said, that there are sometimes that Disney doesn't shy away from. Um, really heading home that heavy messaging particularly about right and wrong and, and good mm. and evil they're very very polarizing opinions the fact that 
um it's such a you know that whole sequence that takes place on pleasure island is so overtly an education of youth yeah um, yeah lesson and, well, and, well it's interesting because even in that scene you see pinocchio very quickly persuade by like the bad boy mentality of smink and drinking and smoking and even that's one of the things that um jiminy cricket says he's like oh you're playing pool like it's interesting and that's considered like one of the naughty things to, for a kid to be doing is to play pool in addition to drinking and smoking as well but that scene especially when when the friend and i forget his name turns into a donkey you see that full transformation is terrifying oh yeah and as a kid watching that like it is it is just straight up terrifying and it's not even that it's just the noise of him running around and he kicks the glass open there's just like so much action happening and the music is swelling it's terrifying oh yeah and there's, there's plenty of scenes like that like that visual as well of of pinocchio taking that you know that big draft of his um of his cigar and just like that whole process of his head like ballooning and going pink and then the tears uh, like lampwick lampwick that's right your boy lampwick um that whole just animation right there of him going through those phases and then it turning into tears when he's smoking like that it that's not an inherently terrifying image but it's a very memorable one and it mm. kind of stamps this image of that's what smoking kind of looks like mm. And it's fascinating that like all of these bits of iconography and even the sound, like the sound that they, they make underwater, that sort of echoey talking, it sticks with you. And that I almost found the sound more nostalgic than the visuals when I look back as a kid and, and I'm like, wow, it's fascinating. But it, it, there's a lot of scary, scary. For elements. sure. I was surprised that it's apparently rated G. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that can't be right. I think it's... Um the cultural impact it would have had on the time, but mm. the fact that they did have definitely more liberalism, I think we need to, it's really important when we get to these 40s and, and obviously this is our first animation of this this ilk that we're talking about. I mean, sound and cinema had only happened for just over a decade at this point. And I think we yeah, touched on this. very early on. Even we, the fact that this is a Technicolor film, that's yeah. incredible. So I think that that's really, really important in terms of our distinction and, and discussion because of... Um, that, you know, this would have been one of those first ever marketed pure kids films mm. at this point. You know, this is type. Of, this would have been a film in which people would have taken their, their children to go see, yeah. um, uh, which is cra- particularly in, in obviously wartime, you imagine there'd be a lot of like single mothers taking kids and stuff, mm. you know, and, and this would have been an, an ample distraction a disney film in the middle of wartime this and probably you know fantasia probably was too and and bambi would go on to also be in the same category and i think that's really interesting to think about how heavy-handed some of the tone tonality is in 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 all of those films for kids to absorb and for parents to take to but that was just the norm back then yeah they were happier to tackle heavier hand or more like i said less subliminal messages more overt messages of yeah well i think i think we're just in a different time now where everything is so micromanaged and i remember someone that i follow on letterbox they wrote a review recently i can't remember what film it was but it starts off oh you know what it was no it wasn't supernova it was it was some random film and it opens up like oh um you know ever since i recently studied film and found it that everything's just a ploy for money making i'm like what are you talking it's always it's always been like that like, it was like a really, like, backhanded, like, oh, well, I'm an educated film student. I know that films are only made for money. Like, it was like, oh, congratulations, pat on the back. Well done. Businesses make money. That really bugged me. But, like, I think with this, 
there was less consideration for it. And what I mean is nowadays when you watch an animated film, it is very carefully constructed to not have scary scenes like that. Or at least for a mass audience for children. And like I think back in the forties, they didn't care. Well, like, we're gonna make this I, as dark I think as it's we really want important to, to put yourself in the mindset of a night like nineteen forty. Disney animation wasn't what Disney animation was today. This no. would have been a gamble to some extent. Oh, absolutely. Um yeah. only having one successful animated film prior to this, it, it, it is it is a hell of a gamble. And to see how much it grossed, I think it grossed something like $168 million or something That's like that. That's crazy. Like, I think it was the most expensive film at the time. So it is interesting because it's like when you look at a film and we talked about Wizard of Oz this time last year. So it's like, you know. Very, very similar circumstance, actually. Um, yeah. A beloved old classic that I love you haven't quite seen yet. Yeah. It's, gonna, it's probably uh, going to happen again next week. No. <laughs> um, well, that's not a beloved classic to me. Okay. To me personally. But um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's really interesting to sort of have that consideration that they weren't a sure thing at this point. And, right. You know, if anything, at this point in time, I, I'm not very familiar with Disney's history. I assume he had the theme park before this, but he might not have. Oh, I don't think so. So at this point, they're just an animation company. Yeah. They'll make so, some shorts. That's really all that they've got going for today. Like Pixar in the nineties, really. Yeah. So I don't know when the, the, the I don't know the history of Walt Disney. I'd have we'd have to get a Disney expert on to <laughs> hash that. But um, I mean, all that stuff's up. I'm gonna see when Disneyland first opened. Um. Yeah, opened July 1955. So 15 years after this film was made. Well, there you go. So they would have to have made consistently good projects before even contemplating opening a theme park or anything like that. Yeah. Not to mention they probably have to have the IP to make up said theme park. Oh, exactly, yeah. They need um, enough to justify the size that they um, bought. So I, I think it's really interesting to consider that because, honestly, um, to, to yield that kind of finance and that money and to take that risk and not be shying away from that light those lighter uh ways of saying the same sort of messages i think that's really interesting yeah i i think um the idea at the time there was no theme park there was none of that there were risk they had money but it was still a risk yeah i remember there was a quote that they said in that extras video where they were like oh um, Walt Disney's brother was like, oh, we owe the bank $4.5 million. Like, what are we going to do? And then Walt Disney's response was something on the lines of, we should just be happy that the bank is letting us borrow $4.5 million. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the journey they had made from when they couldn't get a loan of fifty grand, Now they're getting million-dollar loans. So it's like, that's sort of how they, they took their outfit or their, their, their output, I should say. Mm. But in terms of making films for audiences... And whether it was scary or delightful. Because I think for every scene that is horrifying in this film, there is an equally delightful scene. You know, I mean, everything... We'll get into that in the highlight scenes, but everything in that first 30 minutes is so delightful mm-hmm. and so simple as well. It's all in yeah. one house um, or one room, that entire first act of the film. It was about impress- <clears throat> impressing audiences and delighting them, you know, so that mm-hmm. they feel like they have an enriching experience. It's not about box office at no, this point. It was a different time. That's really important to consider, I think. Yeah. Love it. All right. Would you like to move into highlight scenes? Yeah. So, like I teased, my highlight scene, it's, it's probably a bit of a cheat because it's almost a third of the movie, but that entire sequence from Jiminy Cricket hopping, and I love the little POV shot we get of the, the hopping camera. I completely forgot about that. As he enters Geppetto's house, as you say, he's a bit of a freeloader in the, in the scene. 
But just that whole string of establishing these characters, you know, with the cat and the fish and obviously Pinocchio himself when he comes to light the blue fairy. That all happens in this one little location. And the amount... There's not a lot of plot happening. Yeah. Pretty much the plot is this puppeteer makes a puppet, a cricket comes in, blue fairy comes in, brings the puppet to life, the cricket's the conscious, and now they have a new family. That's the plot. That takes 30 minutes to tell, mm-hmm. or 28 minutes, whatever it was. But the amount of fascinating things they do with the animation, with the camera especially, is so fascinating. I love the fact that when they show Pinocchio through like that dis- distorted fishbowl shot, where he's like mm-hmm. kind of coming in and out, that shot only exists to delight audiences, to almost show off. Like, hey, we're capable of doing this in our feature films. Like, this really unique animation that would be way harder to do than just to do, like, a flat 2D image of Pinocchio walking up to the fishbowl. Like, there's just so many interesting bits of unique camera use and animation. It's just the details of, like, you know, the cat hopping out of the way as Pinocchio is dancing. Just, they don't cut in too close for it. They don't make too big of a deal out of it. Mm-hmm. It's just a detail in a medium wide and just so much attention to detail. I love it. It's so excellent. It's a bit of a cheat, but that's my highlight scene. It's that 30 minute run. No worries. Well, I'm going to have to say that, I mean, that's definitely a, a very fair one. Right. Doing. I'm going to throw it over to a little bit later in the film. I do like the number that he performs with the marionettes on for strong. Oh, that's funny. I like that whole no sequence. On me. Yeah. The yeah. no strings on me. Cause it, you know, it's sort of, so it's an allegory. I mean, it sets Pinocchio on his journey of kind of misdemeanor behavior, behavior and sort of calls to action Jimmy Cricket's um, response. I mean, it's important to note that at the end of that performance, you know, Jimmy actually abandons him. He goes, oh, well, yeah. he's liked. So I think his journey to being a, a better person takes longer than just the, the first 30 minutes of the film. I think it's a, mm. it's a journey and... Why it keeps coming back to is he actually just the protagonist of this film? Is it his journey we're going on, and and Pinocchio is 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 also mutually learning, but we're not really following his journey explicitly. It's actually Jiminy's responsibility journey, right? Um, and to go from a character that was squashed in the novel in the first, <laughs> I was going to say, to yeah. being debated if he is actually the main character of the film is is really interesting. Um, yeah, that it came so late in the process, exactly. Um, and I like that number. I like that number. I like uh, the performance, and I like the sequence. And you know, it leads into one of the most ultimate, um, well, one of the most go, you know, paramount points of Pinocchio's character that you know it's iconized him is the fact that he lies for the first time, and his nose grows in that scene. Right? Yeah, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah, a little bit later, and 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 I think that that you know. It's sort of strange because it's like you know, there's been countless renditions of Pinocchio in in film form now. Um, and it's just funny to see that that was the probably the first time that was ever shown on a on a moving image or visual depiction. The of nose it. growing. Yeah, 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 a thousand percent. So that's really cool to see that sort of origin. I yeah, think. that's a classic moment. I can't believe. Yeah, I didn't even write about it myself, but um, no, it's it's wonderful. And like you said, it it really stood the test of time. Everyone knows about how if you lie, your nose grows. Goes. Everyone knows about that metaphor, quote-unquote. Exactly. <laughs> no worries. Well, Pinocchio is currently out on Disney+. Plus, So if you have a subscription, you can just lock on in and watch that whenever you like, along with Fantasia and Fantasia 2000, I'm yeah, guessing. that's all. All the animations, everything. It's all on Disney+. Plus. There you go. Speaking of streaming <laughs> platforms... We're an advertisement for Disney+. Plus. <laughs> Jake, what's new to streaming platforms and cinemas this week? 
So a bit of an interesting week. I'll start off with, believe it or not, Apple TV Plus actually has some content, which Whoa. is shocking. Whoa! Uh, new episodes of The Snoopy Show comes out this Friday and sees the beloved Beagle tackle new adventures in this episodic series. So I think, I think the key here is that it's brand new content. It's not like The Snoopy Show or anything Snoopy related from the past is coming. This is all new content. Uh, coming to Netflix this week is the Fear Street Trilogy, Fear Street Part 2. Now, uh, oh, and Part 2, 1978. It's a subtitle. Now, I omitted this last week. I didn't realize what this actually was. So this is a trilogy of films based on the R.L. Stein book series. And the whole trilogy is directed by uh, Lee, Lee, Lee Janik. I think that's how you pronounce that name. Um, so yeah, it's a trilogy of books that they're, they're actually doing this over a three-week period. So last week they released um, Fear Street Part 1, 1994. And this week they're doing Fear Street Part 2, 1978. And next week is Part 3, 1666. So it looks like we're going for a whole year, a uh, whole decades and decades, oh, centuries. We're going for centuries of, yes, of stories. Okay. So Are they just a collection of shorts? No, they're, they're full feature films. It's a trilogy of films. They're just releasing them real close together, mm. which I think is actually kind of a neat idea because you make an event out of it. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Why wouldn't all... you wait until October? Yeah, that's true. It's a weird time. You're, you're very close. Yeah, yeah, in July. That is very strange. I didn't even think about that. I, I think that's a cool mo- method of releasing it. Yeah, but you could have done it every month leading up to Halloween, <laughs> every week up to Halloween. Yeah, just fill out the October calendar. That's, yeah. a, that's a good point. Why didn't they do that? Oh, well. Maybe they have something even more. They should more put sweet. us in charge. Yeah, <laughs> we should be in charge of Netflix. Yep. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, coming to Disney+, Plus that we've talked so much about today, uh, finally, Black Widow comes through Premiere Access this Friday the 9th. It's also available in local Perth cinemas. Early screenings from the seventh. We avoid say. a lockdown. A lot of these uh, are sold out already. These Black Widow screenings. People are onto it. It's gonna make a lot of money. Because it's like only at half capacity right now. Yeah, maybe that's a good point. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I would like because we're obviously gonna do this in the show soon. So this would be. Let's be real. It's gonna be one thirty-one probably. Yeah, that's, um, I think that's pretty. I think we've in. talked about it being. We've like, yeah, we've pretty much said lock that um, date already. I think. I would like to catch this if, with you this week because if we get into another lockdown situation, it's obviously way cheaper for us to go to the cinema and watch this Absolutely. instead of getting the Disney Plus sure. thing. It's probably going to look like crap as well on Disney Plus. Yes. Let's be real. Luca looked bad mm-hmm. on a streaming service. So I would love to, if we can get this in before the start of next week just so we've at least seen it before a potential lockdown happens again. That's well, well for 131. put. That's well put. That's well put. Yeah. Those are some off off uh, off podcast politics we're discussing that's, there. Yeah, that's little, cool. Little so when does that come section. out? This Thursday. Uh, so this Wednesday, early screenings begin seventh, okay. and but, then the knife is the Disney Plus access. So if you if you live in a state that doesn't have cinemas, no early screenings, then yeah. the ninth is the date for you. Um, and at Hoyts, if you're not into Black Widow, you can obviously watch Space Jam: A New Legacy. Uh, which of course is the sequel to Space Jam. I've never seen out. Space Jam. No, I haven't either. I've, I had it on VHS. I remember the picture very well, mm. or the poster. I used to watch Looney Tunes back in action way more. Yeah, <laughs> very nice. Well, the preview screenings start from Thursday the eighth. Sees so LeBron James and his young son Dom get trapped in the dig- uh, digital space by rogue AI and have to participate in a high stakes basketball game alongside Bugs Bunny, Daffy Deal, and the rest of the gang. So we sort of talked a bit about some of these characters earlier. Um, and if that, if neither of those are up to your style, looking for something a little bit more niche, for example, at Luna Leaderville, uh, you can watch Dating Amber, which sees school friends in the mid-90s island who stage a relationship to everyone to stop everyone from speculating about their sexuality. 
bit more of an indie hit there if you're into that. So mm-hmm. uh, that's what's coming. Streaming and cinemas this week. No dramas. Well, it is time for us to move into what we're watching next week on the show. It is our last poll for our countdown yeah. through the decades retrospective, the 1930s for this year. So our, I guess this was our second annual doing this. So yeah. good stuff. Good um, stuff, everyone. But Jake, who won the poll and what are we watching? So the poll was really tough. It was actually literally a draw, as in it was 50-50, both on your account and on mine. Yes. Almost the entire way through. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, one film pulled through at the end. So a certain monster created additional monsters to create to create votes, apparently. That's, it's, that's, li- it's alive. It's alive. It's alive. So going with the win lost, unfortunately. The vote was 23 to 17, all up. Um, it was literally 17 to 17 at one point. Uh, so very close. Of course, the winner is Frankenstein. Oh, it's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. <laughs> When this dead hand moves, the monster created by a man they called Mad is turned loose to strike terror into the hearts of men. (laughs) To shock women into uncontrolled hysteria. Elizabeth! To prey upon the innocence of children. This is the story you've heard about, talked about. The spine-tingling, blood-chilling story that stuns your emotions. Frankenstein. Don't touch that! Dr. Henry Frankenstein is obsessed with assembling a living being from parts of several exhumed? Exhumed? What's the word? Exhumed? Be exhumed. E-X-H-U-M-E-D. Yeah, be exhumed. Exhumed. Exhumed corpses. That's exciting. Be exhumed. (laughs) Never seen that word before. There you go. Why can't they just say several corpses? We know what a corpse is. Uh, Yeah. I don't know, man. Uh, I'm getting very picky this. about this nearly a hundred year old write up. I was gonna say this is <laughs> this would be ninety this year. Yeah. So this is the this would be the ninetieth anniversary of this this particular piece. Wow. We've and it would easily be the oldest film we've ever reviewed on this show. It would be because Wizard of Oz won last year. Yeah, and that was thirty nine. So So big jump forward. That's your thirty one. Not gonna get much older than this. Um, no, no. So I've seen this film, I watched it last year and uh I had some thoughts on it. Add some thoughts. Yes, this is actually going to be our director's corner. Yes, yeah, so this is a director's corner for James Whale, who, mm. of course, did The Bride of Frankenstein, the sequel, which is actually really well-loved, um, which, based on the title, you wouldn't think that, I don't think. Um, and he also did the original Invisible Man. So we're hoping to probably catch a couple of mm. those because, yeah, turns out he's done quite a few big films. It was this or... Um, it was the other one? It was some 
Um, uh, Victor Fleming for Victor Gone Fleming. with the Wind. He he also did uh, Wizard of Oz. So, well, I think Gone with the Wind was two directors. Yeah, but I think I Victor think Fleming. We opted th- for Victor Fleming. Out of th- yeah, there's a there's a story behind that, but it would have been Victor Fleming. That would have been like the name we went with. Um, but yeah, no, it's James Whale. So let's see what other monster films he's conducted, concocted. That's no the dramas. word I was looking for. But until then, <laughs> thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. We'll catch you next week with Frankenstein. 1931.